Well, we completed the book of Esther last time. So where are we going now? A couple of you have given me some good ideas, and I've shot them all down. (laughs) Some of you may remember before we started Esther, I was going through the epistles, but I don't feel led to return there yet. When I first became pastor, I was teaching the adult Sunday school class, and I started a series through the last 12 books of our Old Testament. Many refer to those as the minor prophets. I personally don't care for the term, but several off and on years of of teaching that, we got through Hosea, Joel, Haggai, and Micah. I wanted to do that series because I'd never heard a verse-by-verse through those books, and, and I learned a great deal when I was studying those, but I'm not ready to go there yet either. <laughs> I mentioned when we started Esther, my dad requested we go through Daniel, and I just laughed. <laughs> he asked again when we finished Esther, and this time I gave it some thought. So where are we going? Well, I've decided to try and be a blessing to my dad, and we're going through the book of Daniel. Some of you may not appreciate me choosing a series this way, but the fact is my dad is the major reason why I'm pastor, and I figured when you're a pastor, you can choose differently. So dad, this one's for you. And I hope you enjoy it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Since the book of Daniel is Scripture, it'll be profitable. It begins some 2,600 years ago little bit more. There are times when we're going to be reproved, times will be corrected, times will be instructed in righteousness, and there will certainly be times we are profited doctrinally before it's over with. In the first half of this book, we'll be challenged in our daily walk with God as we study the lives of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll also see what must be the greatest humiliation of any earthly king who ever lived and what some consider to be the greatest conversion in the Old Testament. There's debate on whether or not he was really converted. We'll get to that later. In the second half of this book, we'll really be challenged doctrinally. There's a lot of meat. There's times we'll enter some very deep waters when it comes to prophecy. And to be honest with you, there are times when I know that this study is going to take me out of my comfort zone which is why I laughed the first time my dad had mentioned it. And depending on how bold I get in certain sections, it's going to take you out of your comfort zone as well, at least some of you. But I'm excited what God has for us through this study. Throughout Daniel, we'll see several kings. There is Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar of the Babylonian kingdom. There is Darius the Mede, and there is Cyrus the Persian. And then chapter 11 has a prophecy of Many rulers to come, stretching from Persia to Greece to the Romans. And the fact that these rulers are spoken of in such detail, it has caused those who are 
critical of the Bible to suggest that Daniel is a forgery, that it's written after the fact because it is so detailed in its prophecy. But Jesus affirms the authenticity of this book when he refers to Daniel the prophet in his Olivet Discourse. That should be enough to satisfy any Bible student right there. On top of that, Ezekiel the prophet, who was a contemporary with Daniel, this same Daniel, he mentions him three times in respect to his righteousness and wisdom. Therefore, Daniel is certainly the penman. There's no way to conclude that Daniel was written after the fact if one is honest with the Word of God. Now, you can find many things to call the theme of the book of Daniel. If I had to go with one overarching theme, I would have to say it's the coming of Christ's everlasting kingdom. Daniel 2.44 says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. In Daniel 7.14 it says, And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I couldn't find this quote for myself, but in J. Vernon McGee's notes and outlines, he cites Dr. G. Campbell Morgan as saying, the theme of Daniel is persistent government of God in the government of the world. That's pretty good. McGee goes on to state himself that this is the book of the universal sovereignty of God. Most of the rulers of this world think they are in power because they're great. But we know the Bible teaches differently. No ruler on this earth would have power except that God has given it to him. In John 19, verses 10 and 11, Then saith Pilate unto him, speaking to Jesus, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Daniel will say in Daniel 2.21 that it is God who removeth kings and setteth up kings. Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the river of waters he turneth it whithersoever he will. Psalm 22.28 says for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. Psalm 47 verses 7 and 8 says for God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praise with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. It is God who rules the nations. Amen. And this truth will clearly be set forth as we go through the book of Daniel. And with all that is taking place in the world, we ought to take comfort in, the, in this knowledge. Now, I don't like what I see taking place in America, but I can have peace knowing my God is ruling from His throne among men. And I can have joy knowing that I'm a citizen of His heavenly kingdom. And nothing will enter into that kingdom that can defile it. Now before we begin this series, I feel like we need to understand that the books of the Bible are not in chronological order. They are in logical order, but they're not all laid out chronologically. When it comes to the 17 prophets... 
what does that begin with, Isaiah there? Those 17 prophets on, Isaiah through Malachi. I, I kind of think Lamentations is more historical, but whatever, um, because he's actually giving an account of what's taking place in the destruction of Jerusalem. But in those prophets, they can be divided into three categories, um, pre-captivity, captivity, and post-captivity prophets. The pre-captivity prophet books fit within the books of Kings and Chronicles. So when you read the opening of some of them, you'll see that the word of the Lord came unto them in the reign of Uzziah, or it'll say something like that, and you know where it fits into the Kings and Chronicles. The captivity books are those that were written during the Babylonian captivity, and the post-captivity books obviously are those after they came out of captivity. And without breaking each one of those down, Daniel is considered a captivity book. It primarily takes place within the captivity. If you're there in Daniel, look at verse 1 with me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. As we begin this series tonight, this is going to be mostly informational for you and not a whole lot of preaching here tonight, but I think it's going to be beneficial to some to understand the background events that have led to verse 1. I cited earlier, God is the governor among the nations. None of what took place took God by surprise. Amen? He, he ordained it and He orchestrated these events. In fact, God foretold of this coming to pass well before it did. He said, if Judah, he said to Judah, if you don't repent, you're going into captivity. There's much we could dig into, and, and I had to fight some of that. I'm going to try to be succinct, but the kingdom of Israel started with a unified kingdom of 12 tribes. Only three kings ever ruled over all the 12 tribes, and that was Saul, David, and Solomon. Solomon married pagan women. Those women turned his heart. And the Bible says he went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. He built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And not only did Solomon build these things, he joined in with them. And one of the saddest verses to me in the Old Testament is Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And as a result of Solomon polluting the land, departing from God, God said He was going to split the nation in two, which He did after Solomon's death during the reign of his son Rehoboam. The house of Judah was to the south. It was made up of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then the house of Israel was to the north with the remaining ten tribes. And probably aware, the, the house of Judah had a mix between good kings and bad kings. And the house of Israel never had a good king. They always had bad kings ruling over them. Now, I bring this up because God brought severe judgment upon the house of Israel. They were defeated by the Assyrians. The Assyrians took them captive, and they scattered them, scattered them throughout the world. And that was to be a warning for Judah. They were to take note of what took place in Israel. Judah was to amend her ways and get right with God. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6-8, through 8, it says, the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, After she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous Judah saw it. 
And I saw when for all the the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So Judah saw the destruction of the house of Israel. They didn't learn to fear God through that. It's okay to learn from other people's mistakes. They chose not to learn. They continued in their spiritual adultery against God. And so God is going to have to bring severe judgment against the house of Judah. And this was clearly foretold of at the end of the 55-year reign of the wicked king Manasseh. 2 Kings 21, 11-14 Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, speaking back to the destruction of the house of Israel. And he says, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, and I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. After Manasseh, his son Ammon reigned for two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then Judah experienced a reprieve for 31 years when Josiah came to the throne. 2 Kings 23, verses 25-27 through 27 says, And like unto him there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city Jerusalem which I have chosen, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. After the reign of Josiah, uh, Judah wouldn't experience another good king. Over the next 22 and a half years, they would have four kings rule over them, and they all did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Judah is now headed for captivity for sure at the hands of the Babylonians, just as God had foretold. The full captivity was a process that came about slowly. It took years for it all to come to pass. When we read in verse 1 of Daniel, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. This is only the beginning of the process of taking the house of Judah captive. Jehoiakim reigned 11 years. And since verse 1 takes place in the third year of his reign, then seven to eight years of his reign would have been under Babylonian control. And during this time, Nebuchadnezzar began to to choose captives. We'll see that in in verse 3 later on in, in another message. But this still wasn't the final destruction of Jerusalem. After Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, his son, reigned only for three months. After him, Nebuchadnezzar appointed Josiah's youngest son, Mataniah, uh, as the king, but he changed his name to Zedekiah. He reigned for 11 years, and he had the idea to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah the prophet pleaded with him not to do it. 
He said, just surrender yourself and you'll live. And Zedekiah went his own way, didn't listen to the man of God, and he ended up rebelling against um, Nebuchadnezzar. And that was the breaking point for Nebuchadnezzar. He finally had enough. And this is where I would encourage you to go back when you have time and read all of Lamentations right at this point. Lamentations is the account from Jeremiah's perspective of the destruction of Jerusalem. And you'll understand very quickly why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And and the overthrow of Jerusalem was brutal. They surrounded the city until there was nothing left to eat. And when they finally came into the city, they came without mercy and with great fury. Lamentations 1.11 says, All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. In 2.21 it says, The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets, either from starvation or they're dead, just lying there in the streets of Jerusalem. Lamentations 4.4, The tongue of the sucking child cleaveth to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. I wept when I was studying this today. I mean, this is a sad picture of what's taking place in Jerusalem. Lamentations 4, 8, and 10. Their visage is blacker than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were the meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. They ate their own kids. It was so bad. Lamentations 4, 18 and 19, they, speaking of the Babylonians, they hunt our steps that we cannot go in our streets. Our end is near. Our days are fulfilled for our end is come. Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of the heaven. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. Lamentations 5, 11 through 16, they ravished the women in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. Princes are hanged upon their hand. The faces of the elders were not honored. They took the young men to grind and the children fell under the wood. Speaking of the slavery, they put them into. The elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. And then finally, 2 Chronicles 36, 17. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. Nebuchadnezzar then captured Zedekiah and he slew Zedekiah's sons before him. And to be sure that was the last thing Zedekiah ever saw, he then gouged out his eyes, put him in chains, led him off to Babylon, put him in prison, and there Zedekiah died in prison. Nebuchadnezzar then broke down the walls of Jerusalem. He burned all the houses of Jerusalem. He took everything valuable out of the temple to use for himself, and the remaining inhabitants of Jerusalem were carried away captive. The Bible says only a remnant was left out in the fields. Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4 By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. 
For they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And God would have them captive in Babylon for 70 years. And the book of Daniel is going to span that entire 70-year period. So why 70 years? Leviticus 25, verses 2 through 4, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. In Leviticus 26, God warned Israel what would happen if they disobeyed. If they wouldn't hearken unto Him, if they disobeyed His commandments, if they dishonored His Sabbaths. Leviticus 26, verses 33 through 35. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth, lieth desolate. And ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. And then in verse 43 of the same chapter, The land also shall be left of them, and shall enjoy her Sabbaths, while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept the punishment of their iniquity, because, even because they despise my judgments, because their soul abhorred my statutes. And then as Nebuchadnezzar took the Babylon, or Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took over Jerusalem. We read in 2 Chronicles 36 that it was to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore years and ten years. So if I understand this correctly, for 490 years, Israel disobeyed the land Sabbath. And, and God... Listen, we read something like that, and I think we're meant to understand the seriousness of obeying God's commandments. It seems like a light thing to disobey the land Sabbaths. So what if the land gets her rest? Well, it's what God commanded. And, and I think we're to understand that we are to honor God and His Word. God, He says glory is due unto His name. And He said in Isaiah 48, 11, For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. The captives of Israel, the, excuse me, the captivities of Israel were of their own making. They had no one to blame but themselves. Judah wasn't taken captive because the Babylonians were this great power. In, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar is called God's servant in Jeremiah 27:6. But they were taken captive because they refused to bless God. They refused to honor God. They refused to obey His commandments. And Nebuchadnezzar just became a tool in the hand of God. And that goes back to one of the opening points that the book of Daniel speaks to the sovereignty of, of God among the nations. He raises one up. He puts another down. And He does so at His will. God brought them into captivity because of their rebellion against Him. Which we'll see highlighted in Daniel chapter 9. Don't have time to read it all, but here's some excerpts. 
Daniel 9, verses 4 through 6. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity and we have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from Thy precepts and from Thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto Thy servants, the prophets, which spake in Thy name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Verses 10 and 11, Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel has transgressed Thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey Thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against Him. The captivity of Judah and Israel, for that matter, it's a warning to our country. It's a warning to us individually. Why should we expect a different fate if we go on and disobey God? If we go on to live in our sins? Many nations have come and gone. Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. And, and all these kingdoms have come and gone. There are some who are still around by name, but they were once great superpowers and now they're not much. God destroyed the pride of their power just as He did to Israel. And America isn't so special that God can't destroy it or take us into captivity. I hope we see a return to God before that day arrives. But what about you? What about you personally? Are you blessing God? Are you obeying His Word? Do you take His commandments seriously? Do you give Him the glory due unto His name? If not, God can bring you into captivity as well. And though it's chastisement, God does so in an effort to bring you back to Him. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Hebrews 12, 11-13, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. The fact of the matter is, we could save ourselves a lot of headaches if we would just yield ourselves to God if we would trust that God can do better with our life than we can. As we go through the book of Daniel, I would ask you to pray for me. I am not very intelligent, and a lot of this will take a great deal of study. And there are portions that, frankly, I feel inadequate to teach. But I'm trusting God will bless in spite of my weaknesses. Amen. Um, I do believe we're in for a treat as we go through this book. And... There's a lot that we can learn and glean. So I would ask you to come prepared to feast at the Lord's table as we gather together around His Word. And there's times when I'll ask you to keep an open mind and let's hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. But that's the introduction to the book of Daniel tonight.